Well, good morning. My name is Ken, and I want you to know whether you're watching online or whether you're here with us this morning, um, whether you're rich or whether you're poor or whether you're black or white or yellow or, or brown, whether you're conservative or liberal or Democrat or Republican, whether you're young or you're old or you identify yourself as gay or straight or something else, that, that crosswinds, this is a place where you're going to be loved and where you're going to be respected. Now, sometimes when I've started our service like that, which I often do, I've heard that it can bother some people. And not really because I have said anything against any group, but because they have thought, of course, the church is like that. But friends, that's not how everybody out there sees the church. That's not how every group out there has been treated by the church. We're in a series called Being the Church. And it's a, we're talking about what it is to be the church. And, and fundamentally, the, the church is to be a family. It's, it's not an organization. It's not a business or an institution. And what's important to a family fundamentally is unity. And, and last week we looked at how the, the church started and it had amazing growth. They grew because their fellowship or their closeness as a community. Anybody else have a Friday night for Jesus, got together with some brothers and sisters, did a meal or did something. I had fun with Barry and one of my neighbors and we played some cards. It was good. God did some work. Did anybody else do that? I mean, would that be good. Praise God. You know, just it, it, it's being together, being a community. You know, when we look at our world today, there is a lack of that, a lack of unity. We're, we're more divided as a nation than we've ever been, it seems. This last week was an anniversary of a, an attack on a nation's capital, and that was Americans attacking Americans. Over the last year, we've been divided on racial issues. There's been rioting in our streets and protests. We've also been very divided as a nation on sexual issues and on gender issues. You know, even how we feel about this coronavirus is divisive. Some people are consider themselves no mask or anti-mask or maskers, or they don't identify, I guess. And some people are vax or anti-vax. And, and it's divisive like that, not just here, but all over the world. It's becoming a growing problem that we are divisive. You know, many families are, are having a hard time finding any unity in their home. At many holiday functions, conversations turn ugly. And in some cases, they get violent. You know, I had an 80th birthday party for my mother and a neighbor got upset at a political comment that one of my cousins made and stood up, grabbed his wife by the hand, and walked out at dinner. It was sad to me that that was the only couple at that party that came up to me and talked to me about that they were Christians. 
you know, their handling of something that they disagreed with just didn't seem very Jesus-y to me. And, and, you know, since, since church is a family and families are living in this culture, we have our own disunity issues going on. And, and people often get hurt and offended easily, especially right now, even within the church. And our unity has never been more important to the family of God, to the church, and the family of humanity in general. And even talking about unity today is dangerous because most of us don't really understand it or where it is supposed to come from. Most of us think it comes from government laws or we think it comes institutionally. But institutional unity is often uniformity, which becomes controlled by whichever group is dominant or strongest. Uniformity by a group can be the loss of our true identities. And, and I believe the, 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 the reason we are fighting so much is because most people have lost what gives us our true identities as human beings. And we fall, fight over false identities like political agendas and sexual preferences and economics and social and cultural and racial differences that we have been deceived to believe are what makes us who we are. And to find our true identity, we must look at the false identities that are deceiving us. And this is difficult because even identities that are false are deep and personal to us. They, they feel to us like who we are. So, friends, I ask you today to be patient with me. Because the Bible is always countercultural. And, and some of the areas that we all find identity in are, are, are very personal. And they're very sensitive. And, and most of us have found our identity in the culture we live in. And, 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 and so to have some fun with this and to make it a little lighter, I know this part's been a little bit heavy. I want to try something lighter. I've been enjoying this series called Cobra Kai. Has anybody else enjoyed Cobra Kai? Okay. If you've watched it, I have to admit that I have really enjoyed Cobra Kai. And, and to me, it's really a good illustration of what's going on in our world. You know, when the first Karate Kid movie came out, I really identified with that character, Daniel. I had a single mom, like many kids did in the 70s and 80s. And like Daniel, my mom and I moved far away. I lived in Arizona with hippies, children, friends in, in Arizona. And we moved to this rich little suburb of Chicago. We all wore cut-off T-shirts and cut off jeans, and they all wore Izod's and Topsiders and belonged to country clubs. And instantly, I didn't fit in. I stuck out like a sore thumb, and I was bullied because I was different. And, and I remember being terrified one day when a bunch of sixth-grade boys surrounded me in a school lot, threatening to beat me up. To me, these guys seemed like mature men. One of them was even smoking. 
And pretending to be like the karate kid, I closed my eyes and I, I swung my foot in a circle, not knowing what I was doing, hoping to do some damage. I ended up kicking the one kid who actually seemed pretty nice and might have helped me. And they all must have liked him too because they all turned to see if he was okay. And in the confusion, I ran and I got away. That year I didn't learn karate, but I learned how to run, which made me successful in sports like track later. And through sports, I found an identity, and I became big and strong so nobody could pick on me. I think a lot of young boys and girls can identify with being bullied and feeling alone. Daniel, like me, did not have a dad around, someone important to talk to about his fears and what he was going through. But then... For Daniel, this magical character, Mr. Miyagi, is introduced. And Daniel finds the strength to defeat his enemies. He finds a new identity, and he becomes the Karate Kid. And that's a simple story that's very black and white, good over evil. Daniel's in the white suit, his opponent's in the black suit. But I like the new Cobra Kai series even better. Because we learn that the real story is not so black and white. Daniel was not the only boy without a father. He was not the only one being bullied, feeling scared, and feeling weak. Johnny Lawrence, Daniel's arch enemy, the one, the black karate gi, who appeared to be the evil bully, he had a single mom too. And she married a rich man that was not kind. He was actually a bully. And Johnny was a scared little boy too, who was bullied at school. And he meets this tough man, John Kreese, who gave him some attention. And he found his identity in Cobra Kai, karate. Well, Daniel was victorious over Johnny when he used the principles he learned from Miyagi-Do karate. And it helped him then to be successful with this victory in, in the world. But Johnny took his defeat to heart, and it filled him with shame. And the principal lessons he learned from Kreese about how to be a man and how to be a father made him unsuccessful at being in his marriage and, and work and as a father. And now with their roles reversed, I seem to understand Johnny better and identify with Johnny better. Because my own father and Many of my own coaches and men in my life gave me the wrong life lessons, especially about, what, about women and about winning at all costs that led me down the wrong path. Now, as these two men started passing on their wisdom and teaching a new generation of modern bullied kids, Johnny finds this kid, Miguel, very much like Daniel, with a poor single mom working hard. And, and Daniel is teaching his privileged daughter, and Johnny's a strange son that lived hard with an addicted mother who wasn't there for him. And Johnny is still trying to find his identity through this karate, trying to get a victory, teaching Cobra Kai. His life philosophy has not worked for him. Strike hard, strike first, no mercy. But he does help a bunch of bullied kids try to find themselves. And they become strong. And you know what they do? They start bullying other kids. 
and Daniel holds on to his identity as Karate Kids and, 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 and responds by training up his own students in this defensive Miyagi-Do style. See, these, these stories, both Karate Kid and, 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 and Cobra Kai, are coming-of-age stories. The characters, um, these teens, go through many first experiences. They're supposed to define who they are. And teenagers and, and they, uh, us adults and middle-aged are, are trying to define who we are. Mr. Mr. Miyagi gives Daniel his first car. He teaches him to drive. He coaches him with how to date a woman. And, and Daniel goes on his first date with the beautiful, rich girl way out of his league alley. And, and she is the first love for both Daniel and Johnny that got away. And, and, and the teens in Cobra Kai all have these first love interests that creates more drama and more competition, more division. And everything is emotionally charged, and it erupts finally in this epic battle between all the kids from Miyagi-Do and Cobra Kai. But it's not as black and white as Karate Kid, good over evil. The best students, the one with the peaceful style, Miyagi-Do, actually Johnny Lawrence's son, leaves another Cobra Kai student, Miguel, paralyzed in the fight. After all the coming-of-age lessons from both dojos, what they're trying to teach about what it is to be a man in this world, two men's lives are left shattered, broken. And yet all the teens are just searching for their identity to be accepted, to be a love, to, to, to not be afraid. And they both thought they found all they they all thought they found it in these opposing karate philosophies and their surrogate, surrogate fathers, their senseis. But these older men are, are are fighting the same battle, trying to discover who they are too. Daniel stuck, just like the actor who played him in the identity role of karate kid. <laughs> this is the only thing I think he's done since. Trying to prove he's still successful, maintaining his perfect life. And, and Johnny Lawrence is stuck in the identity of being a failure, a, a loser, trying to overcome his past and finan- finally get that girl and get that win. But see, the quest for identity can't be found in what we do, like karate or work or, or, or school. And it, it can't be found either in experiences like winning or losing or finding balance or finding love. Or as Johnny would say, bagging babes. Because it's a fundamental question of our humanity. Who am I? And see, that question can only be answered by your creator. Often the answer we try to give are our roles. Like I am a pastor, or I am a father, or I am a husband, or I am a mother. But those things are not who I am. Those are simply the, the roles I have or the things that I do. And, 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 and sometimes when I'm winning in those roles, and sometimes I'm losing in those roles, and sometimes what I do changes, and sometimes how I feel about what I'm doing changes. So it's not really who I am. We confuse our feelings for our identities. You know, the teen character in the story felt more powerful with a mohawk and a tattoo, taking on Johnny Lawrence's 80s style 
He made him feel more powerful. Those things did not change his true identity. It was just a false identity he felt safer and tougher in. See, our emotions can be false identities we can hide in. And, and, and sometimes if we stay there too long, it, it, the, those identities appear to be us. And people can say, well, that is an angry person, or that is a moody person, or that is a depressed person, because our emotions almost become like false identities to us. Now, this is a sensitive subject, but sexual identities are kind of like that. See, sexual identities describe more about how we feel about something than who we are. Because I feel attracted to women, people would say that I am straight. But if I were attracted to men, people would say that I am gay. If I felt attracted to both, they would say that I was bi. But it would have more to do with my desires, how I feel, than who I really am. Now, this is a very sensitive subject to many in the gay community who would say, being gay is who I am. But it's really how they are feeling, what they are attracted to at a very deep level, what their desires are. Who we are as people is a much deeper question. It's the essence of personhood and is not answered by sexual preference then why has it become identity to so many people? Because it's an identity that we can feel safer in against the bullies like the macho Cobra Kaido coming after us, attacking us. Maybe because we're more sensitive. Miyagi-dos. You know, John Calvin said this, man never achieves clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon the face of God. See, perspective of who we are only comes from God. As someone who finds the opposite sex more attractive, at one time I thought that was my identity. In the 80s, I was just like Johnny Lawrence looking for Babe's bag because I thought that that's what it was to be a man. Thankfully, God allowed me to see that there was more to my identity than my sexuality. The church sometimes seeks identity in the secular world's way of thinking instead of theologically. To have true unity with others, we must have a God-centered view of what identity is. So the Bible says that we are created in the image of God, Genesis 1. And it says we are all, all distorted by sin in the fall, Genesis 3. That all of our desires, everybody's desires, are corrupted by sin. So if we find our identity in how we feel, it will lead to brokenness. In our life, if we find our identity in what we desire. The answers to the question, who am I? Who are you? Who are they? Who are we? Begins with the doctrine of the image of God and the doctrine of sin. Genesis 1, 
26 through 27 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image, and the image of man he created him, male and female, he created them. See, Adam and Eve were the crown of God's creation. The doctrine is one called the Mago Dei. That's the image of God in Latin that says that we are made in God's image. And, and friends, that is what brings unity to all of mankind. And if we can understand that, then we can live in unity together. That's what our democracy is supposed to be based on. That's what our, our, our country is supposed to be based on. We don't live it out. The concept of Imago Dei is repeated again in Genesis 5, 1 and 9, 6, that mankind was made in the likeness of God. His word says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for man is made in his own image. There are some that think that we have the image of God or that the image of God is in us, but the, the Bible doesn't really express it in that way. Uh, a Bible scholar, Mose, Mose Silva, explains it this way. He's a translator. He says, man as a whole, male and female, is described as being made in God's image. And he goes on to say, if we misidentify the image of God as something in us, we will mistake it for some aspect or characteristic, such as a soul, a spirit, or relational capacity, etc., and, and he further explains, every aspect of human beings is a reflection of the divine image. The, the, the focus of Imago Dei doctrine is on the human being in totality. And even though we are all tainted by sin, that totality means all of our human qualities are a reflection of God's attribute. We are made like God so God can communicate himself to people. We are made like our father who gives us our identity. We can't find our identity. Our identity is imparted to us by God. When we make anything else, the core of our being, like what we do or how we are, or what we feel, or what we're attracted to, it distorts the Imago Dei, and it's an affront. It's hostile towards our Creator. We have created another image that we are making a competing idol to the image that He has given us. We are not being who we truly are. We are truly made in the image of God. Not our sexuality, our preferences, our genders, our pigments, what we care about, our causes. But culturally, we can make idols about all those things. Out of gender and pigments and positive physical traits. And this misimaging of God should never be thought of as trivial or without consequence. 
we end up lowering our value when created things become our identity because man is made in the image of God and he is supposed to be like God and, and represent God. And when God created everything in Genesis 1, right up until he created human beings, he said that everything was good and that it was worthy of praise. He gives affirmation six times as he creates. And he finally creates the apex of his creation, Adama or mankind. And God blesses them and says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so after he made us who we are, he gave us work and sexuality to fulfill the purpose he had for us. After creating the humans, the apex of his creation, God said something. He said, it is very good. Good means we are made for good purpose. And Adam and Eve, for a time, lived out that good purpose in perfection, obedient to God. But sadly then, in Genesis 3, they freely disobeyed God. And and that disobedience cast all of humanity into a, a sinful state and frustrated all of the creation. But friends, the image of God in us was only distorted. It was only distorted. It was not lost. Amago Dei was tarnished by sin, but it was not taken away. The good news is this corruption is only temporary for those who will trust in God and his plan to restore that image again by destroying the power of sin through his son, Jesus. The truth of the matter is our sin and the consequences of our sins are less important, rather, to the essentials of who we are as humans. The truth of the matter is our sin and the consequences of them are less important rather than the essential to who we all are as humans. Sin is universal. Sin is pervasive. But friends, sin is not who we are. The Apostle Paul makes it clear in Romans seven nineteen. He says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I do it, but it is sin that dwells in me. Sin is not our identity. Every sinning person is still a person created in God's image. Sin is not who they are. Regardless of anyone's age, sex, race, regardless of whether they are in submission to God or not, regardless of whether a person experiences same-sex attraction or identifies as gay or lesbian, everyone is created in the Imago Dei. God's image of who we are is never erased. And so, friends, this is an indictment to any Christian who would bully, who would mock, who would make fun of any identifying same-sex attracted person, whether they be gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender, or anyone that would abuse, bully, mock someone that has a different pigment or a different culture or a different physical attribute. 
for they are made in the image of God. God's image is uniquely human, human, and it is special. He, he did not give it to plants or animals. He, he just created those things according to their kind. But with humans in Genesis 2, the Bible says God did something unique. He formed us from the dust and he breathed his own breath of life into us and we became living creatures. He gave us life. And he will again restore life into us through the breath of his word with this new sensei, Jesus, the new Adam. The image of God is both male and female. Genesis 1.27 says that. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. And, and, and this is written in the form of three lines of poetry. The first line gives us the foundation on which the next two lines build. The second line is basically a repeat of the first line, but in a different order to emphasize the image, he puts the prepositional phrase before the subject verb object of him, which is humanity, according to the first line, which is the word Adam or Adama, um, humanity in Hebrew. Then the third line, he ends with the subject verb object, he created them. The third line being in parallel communicates a direct correlation of the image of God and male and female. The image is primary to who God is. The image is primary and also primary to both male and female. So the image is primary to both male and female. There is never a justification for the mistreatment or devaluing another human being, male or female, based on their gender. The, the image of God doesn't have a differentiate a value between the two. Just as the image of God is essential to who we are, male and female is also essential to who we are. This phrasing doesn't make God male or female. Or both. It actually stands against that idea. See, there are false gods in the Near Eastern pagan mythology and all came into being through a, a, a sexual union of male, God, and female. But our God has always existed in the Trinity. And if you look at the creation account in Genesis 1, he, God brings in creation order from chaos, making distinctions between things like heaven and earth or sky and land. He, he separates them and he separates the light from the darkness and he separates the waters um, and he separates the night and the day he, he, and, and, and creates time. He separates uh, water from dry land. He, 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 he divides up the heavenly lights into you know, in the sky, he, he, he creates different types of plants according to their kind and different kinds of animals according to their kind. And he creates one humanity and separates them into two sexes. 
bringing order out of chaos for the benefit. All of this is for the benefit of man in whom he places his image. And he says it's not good for the man to be alone. And Eve was created as a helpmate. And that word is actually the word Ezer, which is the same word that God uses for himself, that he is our help. And Eve was not an afterthought, but a completion of God's good work of the image of God in humanity. And 1 Peter 3 tells and warns husbands to be understanding with their wives because women are heirs with you of the grace of life. Understanding that we are made male and female is essential to being human or who we are. God created us in his image with two genders so that we could be fruitful and multiply his image and, 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 and show that to the world. Now, transgenderism battles against the image of humanity, which is a battle for truth of the core of who you are. Oh, yes, you can augment yourself with prescription drugs and, and, and with surgery and suppress or enhance biological um, features, in essence, to try to change one's genetic reality to be either male or female. But in effect, what you're saying is that my feelings supersede my essence or what I feel is who I am. My psychology usurps my biology. So truth becomes what you think and feel, not what God says about who you are. But see, this, friends, is not just the problem for those who identify themselves as transgender. It is the problem for all of us who have found their image corrupted by sin. So to understand this, we we need to understand, to understand our true identity, we need to understand the doctrine of sin. Because we were made in the image of God, but we need to understand what has corrupted it, which is sin. See, Adam and Eve disobeyed God's word. And they obeyed their desires instead. And they ate from the tree of the garden that God said not to eat from. And the consequences are all found in Genesis 3. But the warning came in Genesis 2.17. It says, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. In Hebrew, it literally means dying, you will die. Death was going to be physical. From the dust of the earth, you shall return, Genesis 3.19. And also spiritual, evidenced by Adam and Eve being thrown out of the garden, out of God's presence, separated from God. They lost touch with their father. God's punishment also included a curse of pain and, and, and turmoil of life. The, the, the woman found pain now in bearing children. And the man found pain now in having to work the ground and sustain his life. But there will also be pain in relationship, an enemy to unity in relationship between the two genders, between man and wife. Once there was perfect intimacy, they were naked without shame and perfect intimacy together. But now the two genders will be in conflict. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband and he shall rule over you. Now remember back to the image, when the image of God was created, created, it was created to give them both dominion 
to rule creation together. But see, now what's happening is men and women try to rule over each other, try to control one another with contrary desires and strength. But before God cursed, as he cursed the enemy who tempted his image bearers to sin, God gives them hope. He gives them good news. I put enmity between you and the woman and between her, your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so through the woman, through the, the image of God that, that, that's been created, through that, something is going to come. A deliverer that will redeem it all. That will redeem the image. The Apostle Paul tells us, though, that their disobedience had a profound effect that, that all of creation was subject to futility, Romans 8.20. The effect of sin was so disastrous to, it all, to us all that it created all the Daniels and the Johnny Lawrences and the Kenny Schultzes that, that sought and searched to, to find who they were and all the wrong things like sex or career or money or their looks or trying to be tougher or more popular. And the doctrine of sin says the problem is ultimately sin, not what we are attracted to. That we turn to created things to find our identities. We turn to idols. And, and friends, sexuality, why I've been talking about it, is, is one of the most powerful idols because human beings are the apex of God's creation. And Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. See, I was a man who, who tried to went out and have sex with girls because I was attracted to the opposite sex. And other boys and girls went out and tried to have sex with same-sex attracted people. But, bo- but weren't we both just trying to find our identity in our desires and how we were feeling. See, God doesn't call men or women to be heterosexual or homosexual. That's the wrong paradigm. God calls us all to be holy as He is holy, to reflect His image. God has defined our sexuality and what it is for and what it is not for. The Bible mentions adultery 33 times. It mentions um, 55 times the word pornea, which is sexual immorality. And you know, mainly these instances refer to heterosexual contexts, heterosexual sin. For those like me trying to find their identity, in the heterosexual dojo. For us, there is no high moral ground. Holy sexuality is God's standard. And it is chastity in singleness. And it is faithfulness in marriage. That is holy sexuality. It's not homosexual or, or, or heterosexual. It is 
chastity and singleness or faithfulness in marriage. And God's word defines marriage as between a husband and a wife before God. If you're a heterosexual practicing your sexuality outside those parameters, you're sinning in your sexual desires. And you're letting your feelings lead you, not God. And that's a problem for all of us in our sin. That's what Romans one twenty one says. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they came futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. We are all like the teens in Cobra Kai, believing our core philosophy, our particular dojo, whatever that is, becomes our identity, and our hearts and our minds become darkened, and we become violent, and we start just acting out because we become separated from our true father because of our sin. And verse 22 in in, in Romans 1 says, Claiming to be wise, we become fools. Exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling Mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things like 80s rock music. And <laughs> now, I mean, but think about like these, these movies. They're pulling all this, you know, these things that we're finding our identity in the old music. Magido found it in one kind of artist and, you know, they found it in another artist here or the, the styling of their clothes, the old Mohawks. I mean, we're finding our identities in something other than than God. Thinking we are tough and wise, we become fools by practicing idolatry. Sin, friends, is the problem. Obeying what we are attracted to is the problem. We obey our desires instead of God. And therefore, God gave them up to the to lust of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Finding who we are in a false identity is a lie of great proportion. And that we are given over to our lust when we worship what we feel or what our experiences tell us is real as truth instead of God who is our creator, who is actually truth. Because our foolish hearts are darkened. Humanity has become like frightened teens, frightened children that have been bullied by the effects of our sin who are trying to find their identity in all kinds of tribes and all kinds of dojos with leaders that really are just as lost as the ones in their dojos. It says later on in Romans, verse 29, it says, filled with all kinds of manner of unrighteousness and evil and covetousness and and malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliceness. They are gossips. They are slanders. They are haters of God. They are insolent. They are haughty. They are boastful. They are inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithfulness, heartless, and ruthless. Our sin nature ultimately leaves us with the same core philosophy as Cobra Kai, strike hard, strike first, no mercy. And that's where we're at today. Most of our core political issues we fight are actually tied to people's sexual preferences and gender or racial identities. And yet, friends, we all have the same core 
root problems. We've lost touch with our Father. We're lost searching for our identity. The children of humanity have been broken and bullied by sin, trying to find their identity in false things. We've lost our Creator. We've lost our Father. The Bible says this, For in Adam all die. But it does say so in Christ, all shall be made alive. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. See, the church is supposed to bring unity, not by being a superior dojo, bringing its supreme moral authority. Because in Adam, all die. The, the church brings unity by sharing the good news that Jesus, the Son of God, came in the flesh to restore God's image in all us sinners, striking First, taking the initiative of our reconciliation, showing us abundant grace and unfailing mercy. Jesus does not bully, but allows the bullies to hang him on a cross to die. Even though he is perfectly capable of coming down and kicking everybody's butt and defending himself. Instead, he forgives all of us lost and frightened kids. No matter what dojo we are identifying with, what wrong places we are finding our identity in, and no matter how much we are bullying one another, by dying for our sin. But God shows his love for us that while we are still sinners, Christ Died for us. Three days later, Jesus rises from the grave. That proved that the image was restored in him. Yes, all die in Adam, but in Christ, the new Adam, all will be made alive, restored. Restored to the Father's image forever. Being the church is striking sinners first with his mercy and his love. Which will bring true unity to our humanity. As we discover the truth of who we are really made to be. Children made in the image of God. The problem is, for all of us, sin has darkened our understanding of our hearts. Today, we all need to repent and turn from false identities and turn to our true identity that we are made in the image of God, created for value created to rule and have dominion with God forever, turn and believe by faith in the new Adam, Jesus Christ, who came to redeem us and free us from these false identities, to be restored by the grace of mercy of God our Father through his Son, Jesus. Let us pray.
Father God, I thank you and I praise you for the truth of your word. It breaks through lies. It breaks through the things that divide us. And brings us to a place that we all have in common. That we need you. That we all are sinners in need of a savior, Jesus. If there's anybody hearing my voice today that has not surrendered and come to him and found restoration in him, may they turn from their sin and their sinful identities today and embrace him. Be adopted back into his family. Know that they are loved because they are loved by the one who created them. Let them come today. Let them cry out, Abba, Father. I want to know you. I need you. Forgive my sin. I pray that they'll do that. There's nothing but brokenness in the other identities. But there's life in the one you give. In Jesus' name, I pray.